Hi there, church family. It's good to be with you today uh, through this podcast as we do our uh, midweek sermon recap together. Uh, we try to do this each and every week, and today we are focusing in on Psalm 45. That's where we found ourselves this week uh, in our in our message. Hopefully, you were able to be here uh, for that. If not, uh, by now it should be online, I would assume, uh, and you could uh, listen to it uh, there. Uh, to get all of it, but uh, we'll try to dive in maybe a little bit more, but we tend to chase rabbits too uh, in the in the sermon recap, which is fine. Uh, but we just kind of talk about the about the sermon together. Uh, for the past two weeks, we've been saying we had the cream of the crop, just me and Spencer, right? But yeah. now Pastor Dave's here this week. No, but we, we still don't have Scott. Is yeah, is so Dave I, the corn and now I, it's cream corn? It's do cream I, corn. <laughs> I don't know. Do I change the dynamics of the cream of the crop? I guess we'll, we'll find out. We'll find out how this one goes. And Scott's the baloney. But yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's what he is. Yeah. He's the baloney. He's the baloney. Oh, yeah. That fits. <laughs> no, Pastor Scott's away. They Why is he away? They uh, had another child. They decided to do that. They decided to, yeah, well, so Alicia decided Alicia to, now yeah, yeah she, she gave birth gave to birth their daughter. third child, a daughter. Uh, none of us have seen yet. Nope. Not at this point, anyways. Nope. Hopefully, they come home from the hospital today. But things are going, uh, don't going good there, from what I understand. And they're excited, and so hopefully, our church is praying for them. Uh, but yeah, uh, that's exciting. I don't know when he'll be back. People might ask, will he be back next week? I don't know. <laughs> we'll find out. You never know, Scott. Never know. You never know what'll happen. But Psalm forty-five. This was a hard psalm for me to study. Don't know why. I think it's because, I don't know, it just seems so poetic. It seems so... The Psalms do that to you, though. I know, but I mean, other (laughs) Psalms, to me, don't always feel that way. They seem, I don't know, easier for me to break down and to grasp and to know what I want to talk about or whatever or point out. And this one just seemed a a lot more... uh, a lot more difficult. I don't know. I don't know why. Maybe it was just the week. I have no idea. Uh, but <clears throat> it's a beautiful psalm. It's a psalm about royalty. It's a psalm about a wedding taking place. The king and the queen uh, going to be married. An important, very important part in this psalm is that it's a foreign. It's a foreign queen. I don't know if you guys have any background on this psalm at all. I mean, I'm I'm the one who got to study it, uh, but. It was interesting, you know, some people were just dead set on this is Solomon and the Egyptian princess. And then you'd read the next commentary and say, the people who think it's Solomon and the Egyptian princess are dead wrong. There's no way that it's that. You know, it was like, Mm. okay. I mean, it it ran the gamut kind of on that. But you could, I think after reading it, you can definitely see parallels with Solomon, I would guess, in the Egyptian princess. So I don't think it's too far-fetched to think that maybe this was written then. And that was one of the reasons I wanted to read at the beginning the covenant that God made with David. Because when God makes his covenant with David there in Second Samuel chapter 7, he says things that Solomon does fulfill in that covenant. Your son will build me a house, right? You, but then as, as, the, as the covenant keeps going, there's things that's like, Solomon can't fill this. He can't live forever. Right? There was just different things. Like, this isn't going to happen. And so how do we mix the two? And I guess in my mind, I kind of viewed this psalm as that way. Like, there's definitely things in here I think that Solomon could fulfill, uh, no doubt. And we can see. But there's also things he just simply he just simply can't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, this psalm does uh, break down. Uh, really, verse 1 is on its own. It's an introduction. 
And it's kind of interesting that, I mean, the psalmist kind of speaks for himself and like his, I say his, I guess we don't know who wrote it, but I'm going to say his, his motivation for writing. Uh, Usually as you read a psalm, you can understand the motivation, like, oh, they're in distress or they're praising God or something good to have. But he right off the top of the bat and just saying how he's overflowing and his, his tongue is like the pen of a scribe. Like, here it comes, right? I'm going to, I'm going to lay this song out. Uh, for everybody in verses two through nine the focus is on the groom it's on the king there uh, and then as we get to verses 10 through 15 it switches to the bride uh, starts focusing on the bride some the the writer addresses the bride tells her some things that she needs to do uh, but then also talks about her glory as well uh, and her beauty and the people praising her her she's adorned in like beautiful clothes uh, and then in verses 16 through 17, kind of goes back to the king, talking, addressing the king, and talks about how he's eternal, uh, which obviously Solomon can't, could not fulfill and didn't fulfill. And so uh, that's kind of how we broke this psalm down um, this week. And I, I really didn't want to do much other than I did my best to just kind of go through the, the psalm and say what it says uh, and then at the end, focus on the fact that this is a messianic psalm. And I'm not making it up that it's messianic, but we see the writer of Hebrews show us that it's messianic. And some of the commentaries pointed out too, like rabbis still today, or rabbis soon after the time of Christ, or even at the time, they looked at Psalm 45 as messianic. Mm-hmm. And so it's not, it's not like Christians are making this up. You know, it's not like Christians even are looking back and saying, oh, see how Christ and I has fulfilled this definitely. No, I mean, this was a psalm that they would sing looking forward to the Messiah coming, mm-hmm. saying we can't wait for our king who's going to come and save us and be that warrior with the sword on his side. And his when he shoots his arrow, it strikes, right? And uh and so we're not we're not making we're not making this up here. But the way that this psalm describes this uh king is is a beautiful way to describe this king. But have you guys preached, the two of you, have you guys preached um, much? Uh, maybe we talked about this in, a, in another podcast or one of these reviews. Have you guys preached much on, like, Jesus as king? Um, have you done many sermons that you can think of where this idea of king and kingdom uh, played out a lot in the messages? Um. I remember I preached a sermon once on uh, Psalm 72, mm-hmm. which is about kingship, um, about the uh, Davidic king have being, uh, being a source of uh, blessing, uh, I think actually to the whole world. Um, then also one time I remember preaching a Psalm, I think I did Psalm 24 one time, about who is the king of glory. I think I may have done that one time in my old church, I forget. And then, of course, preaching through Matthew, which has got king king emphasis as well. Um, So you preached all the way through Matthew? Not all the way through. I got up to, I finished, I think, chapter 17. You probably got sick of it (laughs) and just said, I'm going to move on. Well, I, I <laughs> no, that was that wasn't that wasn't the circumstance. That wasn't the circumstance but, uh, yeah, yeah, no, I was just done. Um, but um, but yeah, no, the the kingship idea is is very important. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, and it, it's rooted. It's rooted ultimately, um, even in in a, a mankind having a kingship, of course, over creation as God's uh, vice regents mm-hmm. um, under 
under God, and then uh, as well with uh, Abraham, whom we're told that a line of kings yeah. will proceed from him mm-hmm. as part of the covenant of uh, Genesis chapter 17. That's mm-hmm. part of the promise. So Abraham is a royal the beginning of a royal family. Mm-hmm. So that's why the gospel of Matthew opens up with Jesus Christ, the son of David, yeah. the son of Abraham. Mm-hmm. He's a royal heir to all the promises. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I preached through the Sermon on the Mount, and I think Lloyd-Jones's commentary on the Sermon on the Mount was very helpful because he talks a lot about the idea of the kingdom and how the the reign of Christ, you know, as king and what he came to do and establish the kingdom and how it's not of this earth. And so that... That would probably be the one that uh, that I did the most um, in my preaching as far as king kingship kingdom. I just feel like when I preach on these, which I feel like I've been doing a lot. I mean, over Christmas, I feel like we talked we talk about the king. Mm-hmm. All right, I just feel like I've I've preached a lot of messages in this kingdom idea, Christ being our king, Psalm two, Psalm one. Uh, what we're going to do here in a little bit with the Baptist faith and message talking about kingdom. We'll be talking about it more. Uh, well, it's a major theme, right? I mean, yeah, like, yeah. like we, Christmas time, Isaiah 7, right. the, the virgin shall conceive and give birth to Emmanuel. That's in the context of royalty, right. speaking to Ahaz. And then Isaiah chapter 9, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Yeah. Where's the king of the Jews? Yeah, the king born. of the Jews. Um, yeah. It's just... I guess I struggle preaching those messages because my whole life I've been taught to rebel against the king. I mean, like in America, we don't have kings. Mm-hmm. We don't. We don't have anybody with this supreme rule or authority. Even in your mind, people might say, "Well, we have a president," but there's so many checks and balances that. What really does that guy do? You know, I mean, he he can't make laws. He can't do these different things. Um, and there, and so for me, that's just so foreign. To think of living in a land where there is one guy who, whatever he says goes, and if that guy says, you know what, I don't like him, go kill him, they they would do it. It's not breaking the law, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so it's just difficult to me. So all of my experience of King is either in history books or in uh, movies, and and so I don't know what it's like to live that way. And to be honest, I've never thought. I have a desire to live that way, mm-hmm. right? Growing up in America, I think the way we do, it's pretty good, right? And so, mm-hmm. uh, in fact, people would be mad, I think, as if as an American, you're like, you know what? I think we should go back to the king idea. <laughs> That's not very patriotic of you, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so when we're, when we're reading a psalm like this, and the writer is just praising this king, mm-hmm. again, that's just foreign to me. Mm-hmm. We don't, we don't do that, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but we see this love that the writer has for his for his king, and the way that he describes this king is really it's a person that's beautiful. Says that this king is handsome. Says that the king is gracious to his people. Um, that he's a great king. That he's been blessed forever. That the king is victorious in battle. Says his aim is true and his arrows are sharp. That victory in battle is always his. He always wins, this king. But this king doesn't seek battles for the sake of gaining more territory or gaining more riches. This king is meek and righteous in everything that he does. And so if this king goes to a battle, it is a just battle. Mm. There's a reason that this battle is happening, and it's for the sake of justice and righteousness. Not for the sake of, I just want more land. 
or I need that waterway and you're in between me and that waterway. And so I'm going to get rid of you. So now I have this waterway, you know, that's not what's happening at all uh, with this King. And so this writer is setting up this scenario in this situation where you're reading this Psalm and your, your heart should be going to kind of, I want that to be my King. I want that to be somebody who, rules over me, which is so hard to say because I don't want anybody to rule over me. I want to be the king, really, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. uh, when we read this. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not how it goes. And and so this person just is is praising this this king and uh, over and over again. I'd mentioned in my uh, sermon, the queen just had like her platinum anniversary. I can't remember if that's... I think it was her diamond. Diamond? Was it diamond? I don't remember. Wasn't it the diamond jubilee? I don't remember. Yeah. You would know more than me. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Thought it was like yeah. you might be right. Yeah. What does that mean? Seventy years? Probably. Was this seventy for her? She's ninety some, so yeah. Probably. Yeah, probably. She was. 70. She became queen in the fifties. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. Because yeah. like Winston Churchill was the was around when she was yeah made queen. There's yeah. pictures of That's yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. But uh, Alistair Begg, who I listen to, mm-hmm. uh, he he pastors in Cleveland now, but he's from over on the island over there, and uh, he wrote. You know, during that time, he was just saying how he remembered as a kid when the queen was coming through his town or something for a celebration, he stood and waved the flag mm-hmm. as she went by mm-hmm. and would, and he was so happy that the queen was by him, you know, right. and in his letter, he only had good things to say about the, about the queen, you know, mm-hmm. stuff that she has done. And he might've even mentioned, you know, of course she's not perfect or anything, but he just mentioned it seems her faith is in the Lord. She she points to the Lord a lot in a lot of things. And um it was just interesting to see mm-hmm. this read this guy who had this I don't know, this place in his heart for this queen. That again, when I look at the situation, I'm like, What is, she never did anything for you? What are you talking about? She didn't go to battle for you. I mean I don't even know how their government all works, but I don't think she really has much say in much things that happen, you know, and go on. But but yeah, he had this joy in his heart. For the queen uh, that was o- was over him, and uh, that's what we see this this writer kind of mm-hmm. doing. And and if I do have to have a king over me, if that's a need, I want it to be like the king that's described mm-hmm. here in verses two through nine. Now the the interesting part for study would be verse six, because he says these good things about the king, but then in verse six. He says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Now, that's interesting in our version of how how it's written because there's some versions that would say something along the lines of like, your throne, O king, has been established by God Hmm. instead of your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Um. But now the the people that I read the most, the commentaries that I seem to lean on, that I trust, would uh, would fight for what it says in verse six, and say that the interpretation that is here is definitely of this this throne here is the throne of God, mm-hmm. and given by God even, which again would fall in line with King Solomon to say, God's established this throne and He's allowing you to sit on this throne, uh, but the writer you know all of a sudden says. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. This this eternal thought of this king and this kingdom and that your scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness, right? You love righteousness. You hate wickedness. And this now, God has anointed you. 
And again, we see that with David being being anointed, or even Saul. Right? Saul was a, mm-hmm. was anointed uh, of the king. Uh, and then again, this is stuff that's foreign to us. Uh, but he anoints you with the oil of gladness beyond your commands. But like your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia from ivory palaces. Stringed instruments make you glad. This idea of smelling good again is very poetic in what it's saying, but mm-hmm. it shows royalty it shows it does show a wealth it shows um a beauty and you think in this day and age it has to show a difference i can't imagine the common man was walking around smelling all that good uh during this time and so this was more for the the royal Mm -hmm. and in our king is the most royal this person's writing always smells good i mean it's just like pouring out of the beauty and the fragrance uh, that he has and and then after that it, it changes to the queen um, there in first 10 you guys have anything on that little section on the king at all that you wanted to wanted to bring up I, I think it's interesting and you you brought that out too in your sermon it almost seems like there's it's kind of going back and forth you know there's talking about this particular king like you said whether it's Solomon or, or someone else and then it kind of like almost like the, the scene changes and it's talking about God and his kingdom and his reign and, you know, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And that idea, it's like on, it's eternal. It's, I think the Hebrew denotes that idea of like no ending, continuation, which we mm-hmm. see in Daniel, of course, and other books. So I think it's interesting that the writer is switching. It's almost like a, a, a different camera camera angle. You know, you got this king and then it switches over to God as our reign and our king, which I think is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It reminds me of David. The, the language David is described in, in chapter 16 when he's anointed um, uh, that they send and get him. And remember, I think this is one of the images that's helpful for us to understand the biblical concept of kingship is there was actually shepherd imagery, if I understand right, that was used in the ancient Near East to understand what the role of the king was. And that's why it's so important that David goes from tending the sheep to then shepherding God's people. Mm. They're the she- they're the sheep of the flock. Mm-hmm. So there's the, the instead of the we often think of because of our well we're, we're because of our current uh, the water we we drink in our current society, we think of kingship primarily as a means of oppression. Mm-hmm. I don't think that while that was true back then, there was also I think another idea of kingship as protection and nurturing and caring. And I think that's the image that is conveyed here. He's the protector. He's the defender. He's the shepherd of, of the people, of the flock, of the nation. And so David is coming in from the sheep, shepherding the sheep and the field, and he's going to be now taken to shepherd the people of God. And also he's described when he comes in, it says, now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And so David himself is described in uh, visually appealing terms uh, whenever he first comes in. And similarly, here's the either David or the son of David, and ultimately the son of David um, is described in, in similar terms uh, to David. And he's, he's not a king who uses his power to oppress, but his power is used to defend and to love and to serve and to nurture and to feed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's just important to, and also with Solomon, especially when Solomon 
Solomon is the the wealthiest of all of the kings of Judah, right? But whenever he is successful and thriving, the whole nation is thriving. And so it's also we our 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 it's not simply he gets rich and everybody else is dirt poor. The whole nation, if you read under the, the biblical account of Solomon, because of his reign, it flow it, it trickles down to the whole nation. And so everybody is blessed. The whole nation is blessed. Mm. Um, there's peace and because of his wisdom. And so I think that's just also that connection. There's not simply like him up here and just oppressing us, but there's a connection. To insofar as he thrives, we thrive. Yeah, and what you're saying there has a connection with verses 16 and 17 of this psalm. Because when it starts talking about the king again, um, it talks about again how it's eternal. In place of your father shall be your sons. You will make them princes in all the earth. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, nations will praise you. So while mm-hmm. Solomon's getting rich, Israel is praising, right? right? Because right. they're benefiting. But not the world. The world isn't benefiting from this. But what we're seeing with this king is that all nations are benefiting from this person's reign, from this person's right. Kingdom. Well, and again, Solomon. Again, who comes? The Queen of queen Sheba. Of Sheba yeah. The Gentiles start to flock mm-hmm. to Solomon mm-hmm. in a way that's foreshadowing. Um, and eventually, you see that in Psalm uh, seventy-two, which is. Uh, not necessarily a, a flocking, but it is true. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. So there was always this idea that the Davidic king was the king of Israel, mm-hmm. but also he was because he's God's king. He is the king of the world um, as well. He Or he has a unique place um, in, in redemptive history, ultimately with Jesus now being the, in Revelation, the ruler of the kings on the earth, Revelation mm-hmm. chapter one. So, um, and yeah. I think, and I think the foreshadowing is very clear. And I think that's why, you know, you, as you said, you know, Pastor Tim, that it's a messianic. It's pointing to the king of kings. This is pointing to what Christ would fulfill. Isaiah is pointing to, of course, the, mm-hmm. the, as the Gentiles are coming into the flock. Right. You know, and that's right. powerful. It is interesting, though, like 6 and uh, 7, your throne, O God, is forever. And it continues on. You have loved, I guess, continuing to talk to God's throne. But then he conti- he says, therefore, God, your God mm-hmm. has anointed you, which makes you think of Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Up my and that's where Jesus says, well, Jesus is talking to the religious leaders, you remember, and was it Matthew 22? I don't know. You didn't get to that part. You only got to 17. I I didn't get to that part yet. You're right. (laughs) But Jesus says that, right? Is he talking about if, you know, David's the king, but this is another Lord that's saying it to the, you know. Mm. So Jesus is trying to point out, hey, come on, you guys Mm-hmm. obviously have missed the boat on some of this. Yeah. And so similar, that's a similar kind of a passage though. God, your God. Mm. So God told God about God's throne. Right, yeah. And yeah. that's, that's where some of this is like in the light of the full revelation of Christ. It makes, makes sense. Better sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I thought was very beautiful about this Psalm is that the Psalmist sets up this queen and this queen is praised here. But this queen is not perfect. There's a problem with this queen, and it's she's foreign. She's a foreigner, uh, which makes me tend to think that this is about Solomon and the mm. and him getting married to the Egyptian woman. Uh, why else would the person write this? You know why? 
what, why would it be set up this way? And I, maybe there's another queen that could be talking about. I don't know. Solomon wasn't the best with the whole queen thing, <laughs> um, yeah. as we learn. But he says, the, the writer says this to the queen when it addresses the queen. Hear, O daughter, and consider and incline your ear. And gives her a hard thing here. Forget your people and your father's house. That's tough. I mean, you have this foreign queen coming in and basically telling her, listen, you are, if, if it's Solomon's case, you are no longer Egyptian. You are now an Israelite. So for when, when he's saying forget your father, it's not like forget you had a dad and you're never going to see right. him again. Right. It's saying you're going to have to forget all the ways of your father all the customs, all the everything of them, including their faith, including their religion, including their gods and their idols, you're going to give all of this up and you're now going to come here to this people. Uh, But when you do that, verse 11 says, and the king will desire you. There's a desiring here that I really wanted to point out in the message. I don't know if I did that enough. I I really wanted that to be seen. Mm Mm-hmm is that this is not a political exchange. Mm-hmm. You know, and we and we see this in history, we see this in the movies about kings is they will they will find a queen from a foreign nation that they want to be have camaraderie with or maybe there's some issues between these two nations. It's like, well, if we if we form an alliance here through a marriage, then we have that alliance mm-hmm. and it'll be sure. And so we see a lot of political jesting back and forth in the in the in marriage. Uh, to have this happen, but it seems like that's not what's happening here with this king and this queen. This queen, <clears throat> it seems, forsakes her past, get, gets rid of her past, comes to this king, and it even says after after it says the king will desire beauty, since he is your lord, bow to him. So there's this like surrendering surrendering of herself to this king, but what you're going to get in return isn't rage isn't uh, a jerk of a husband isn't someone who's not going to love you you're you're actually going to get he, where he he desires you he loves you yeah i mean it sounds too kind of like uh with ruth yeah, yeah your people will be my people your god will be my god mm-hmm. um so there's this there's this renouncing of the old loyalties renouncing mm-hmm. of our previous citizenship um and embracing a new identity and a new status in this country, in the country, right? People have to do that when they want to become American citizens. Sometimes you have to renounce your, mm-hmm. your old citizenship, um, and, uh, and embrace the new rights and privileges and duties that come along with your new, uh, citizenship. And similarly, that's what she's doing here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you have her come and she is look at, I mean, 13, all glorious is the prince, princess in her chamber with robes interwoven with gold and many colored robes. She's led to the king. And so what is it? the king now has given her this beauty, right? Has given her these robes and this gold and all of the perfume and the fragrances. And she's been prepared for him. But again, it's because the king has been the one that's prepared her, right? Given everything needed to now say, now come. Now you're ready to be, to be with me. And I love you. I desire you. I accept you. I I want you to be my queen. You know is what is what is happening here, and what is and what is taking place. And and so the people have joy and gladness as they walk the queen to the chamber to where now she is going to be wed to the to the king. 
there's this beauty of it, right? And there's this finality even of it that now they will be now they will be together. And then there's that promise that we read in 16 and 17 of this this union is coming and this union is taking place and this kingdom is going to last forever through the sons, through the sons, through the sons, uh, which we know doesn't happen in the line of Solomon, right? We don't we don't see that happen and, and, and take place, but we do then see it happen in the line of David in Christ, in Jesus. And so that's why we looked at that. And so in Hebrews uh, chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, is where this psalm is quoted in the in the New Testament. And the writer of Hebrews, as we talked about in the sermon, is trying to establish some very big theological truths in Hebrews. It is such a crucial book of the Bible. And he is setting up in this section talking about like you've been made lower than the angels, but yet you are higher than the angels trying to set this up about Jesus. But the book of Hebrews is trying to set up Christ being king and priest forever, forever and ever. Um, and so the writer of Hebrews is trying to lay this out. He even goes to Abraham, like Abraham, you talked about Abraham. Well, Abraham had a weird scene in his life where he comes up to this king of Salem, who's also a priest mm-hmm. uh, in Melchizedek. The person in Melchizedek gives ties to them. The writer of Hebrews takes that to say, this is this is the line that Christ comes from as priest. He's not Levitical priest. No, he's a priest in the order of Melchizedek, the priest that reigns forever, because we don't have like the death of Melchizedek. Mm-hmm. We don't see that. We don't even see his beginning. Mm-hmm. Where's this king come from? Where's this priest coming from? Why is Abraham paying honor and tribute to him? Anyways, that's kind of a side note. But the the writer of Hebrews is trying to explain this. Well, in explaining this, saying Jesus is the king that we've been waiting for, is the high priest that reigns forever. We don't need any more high priests. We don't need any more sacrifice. Laid the sacrifice down. In order to uh, to show this to everybody, the writer of Hebrews goes to this psalm and says, look, this psalm is talking about it's talking about Christ. It's talking about Jesus. Oh God, your throne reigns is forever, verse 6 and 7. Um, and saying this is Jesus who this is talking about. And so we get to look back, and now when we read Psalm 45, we can attribute this stuff to Christ, knowing that his throne is established forever. He has all glory and majesty. He's the defender of truth and righteousness. He judges equitably. He is the king who marries the foreign bride and makes her worthy to be his own. This can all be attributed to Christ because the writer of Hebrews has, has done that and yeah. shown us that. And so we now can look at this king and, and as Christians say, this is my king. And what is fascinating to me is when you watch movies about kings, all of them have flaws. We cannot even imagine in our movies a perfect king because it's so unrealistic. We would say that's boring. Why would you write a movie about a king that is perfect? What a boring movie, right? We can't even fathom it. But yet it's what we've been given in Christ is this perfect king. He does not lose ever. He doesn't do anything for gain that shouldn't be gained. Is perfectly upright, perfectly righteous, perfectly perfect in all of his ways, in beauty, in everything. And yet, this king would take on a foreign bride in the church and make her worthy to be his bride. That's what we have in Christ. And that's what this psalm is pointing to. And that's really the beauty of this psalm, 
And I think this is where sometimes can be hard. I, I tried to say too, you know, I'm not very poetic. It's hard for me to, I don't know. Some people would say it's hard for me to have emotions, I guess at all. I don't know. <laughs> I think some would say that to me, um, but that's not true. Uh, but to think like romantically or anything. And then, and when you're reading this Psalm as a guy and you're trying to, th- you know, you're maybe getting into the emotions of it and you're thinking, I'm the bride of Christ. It just seems weird. It just seems odd, right? But when you look at the beauty of it, of what he's done for us, of taking us to himself, he has perfected us. He has made us righteous. He has made us holy. He has done all this work through his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, where he intercedes for us still to this day. He has taken us on, and we are his, the perfect king. Right? Are you, I mean, if you don't, if the bride thing kind of, makes you feel weird. I mean, you can go the adopted route. He has adopted you into his family, mm-hmm. right? He calls you his own. Uh, you're an heir with Christ because of Christ. Uh, all that is his is your, I mean, you have these things and why, right? The question is, is why, why me? Why, what have I done? And they, you've done nothing. It's because he loves you. And just like that King is desiring that queen, our King desires us which is a crazy thing to think of. You know, I, I didn't write it down, but I thought about it and said it in the sermon. Everybody in their marriage, I know at some point, is like, do you like me? And it's not because the other person is mean, but it's because we look at ourselves and think, "What I the way I've been treating you or whatever, mm-hmm. you shouldn't love me, you know? And we question that about ourselves. Right, and we don't. We wonder, can anybody love us like this? And we have that in God, in the Creator of all things, the one we rebelled against and sinned against. He draws us into Him and saves us by His Son, and delights in us and desires us. It's a crazy thing to think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and even what's neat, and you mentioned Ephesians five, but even in the Old Testament, you see these uh, pictures of. God as a, like a husband, like in Hosea says, he allured his people into the wilderness, almost like he took them on a honeymoon mm-hmm. <laughs> into the wilderness to teach them that he's, he is their Lord and he will provide for them manna from heaven and water from the rock. And just that it, it's, it's mind boggling to think, because like you said, we are so undeserving of that. And that's why marriage is such a beautiful picture of, of the gospel, because it's like that unconditional love of like, you desire me, even though I've, you know, been unkind or, you know, you still want to be with me after all these years. And, and it's, it, it draws us back to Christ that we don't have to perform or, or dress the part because he, he's lavished his love on us because he loves us. Your sermon, a couple, it was a couple months ago that you preached on, um, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, yes, you mentioned that he loves us because he loves us, <laughs> not yeah. because we're lovable, and that that w- that really stood out to me yesterday in thinking about how how God is just like that husband that every wife and every you know every marriage wants to have that draw that desire, yeah, yeah, and that's why we can't forsake assembling together because we need yes. to be reminded of this because the devil does a very good job of convincing us that we're unlovable. Mm-hmm. It's not hard for him to do that, and so. It's astonishing to people very often when they're new to the faith to hear that this grace is actually grace. Mm-hmm. It's a free gift of God's doing. And it's like, well, what's the catch? What do I need to do? And a lot of times we say, well, yeah, a- after you've been saved by grace, there are things you're going to do. You're going to 
uh, strive to honor him and obey him and love him. And we do this because of what he's done for us. And so we easily then get in the trap of where we start to think, well, this is what's causing him to love me now. Mm-hmm. But maybe then he loved me because he loved me. But now he loves me because of how beautiful I'm becoming, right? And I'm striving to keep doing better and better and better. But then we get lost again, and that thing is like, oh, we have that day where we're not beautiful. Mm-hmm. He must not love me today. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's astonishing how much we have to be reminded as Christians is, no, he he loves you just as much now as he ever has. Mm-hmm. And I think also it's important for people to realize it's actually oftentimes <clears throat> you need to also take aware that oftentimes in our lives it's good for us to feel that um that uh, downcastness yeah. every so often because if not um we start to take the garments that God gave us and start to think that we sewed them or made them or earned them ourselves mm-hmm. and that's uh something actually again in, in Ezekiel chapter 16 which is a very graphic image of how God saved Israel whenever they were, he says, you were, you were laying out in the, in the middle of the, on the ground. No one wanted to pick you up and save you. Mm-hmm. I took care of you as an infant and then eventually grew you up until eventually I married you. Um, but what Israel does is takes the, the stuff that God gave them and commits adultery with the gods mm-hmm. out of the blessings that God gave them. So I guess the point is, is <clears throat> ex- at some level appreciating the fact that God uses those things, the suffering, the downcastness in our lives to keep us humble. So that a way then we can relook in the fact that he's the one who gives us all of these robes. He's the one who gets, that's what that's in Hosea as well, isn't it? Yeah. Hosea uh, and Gomer. I'm the one who gave you all that food. Mm-hmm. I'm the one who provided for you the whole time, even though you weren't thankful for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, just reminding us the whole thing from beginning to end is, is by his grace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is the this is the good news. I mean, of the gospel that that the Bible has given us, and this is the story that we have as Christians to tell to other people. A lot of people see uh, being a Christian or church life maybe as being uh, a more work, uh, more judgmental. When in fact, it should be the exact opposite. It's no, um, we come to Christ because of His rest that He gives us. Uh, we might struggle with that rest, but that's not on his end. That's on my end. I keep trying to say, ah, let me work, right? Let me do something to earn this. And it's like, no, 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 I've already done that. Mm-hmm. I've already done that. Uh, and so when you start grasping and seeing the truth of Scripture and what God has done for us, the freeing, the the freeness that it gives really is astonishing. You know, Spencer, you had said it's good to be downcast, I would say yes to that, but just like the psalmist in in Psalm 42, he asked that question, why are you downcast, O my soul? Mm -hmm. Hope in the Lord. And we have that as believers, that yes, we feel downcast, and I'm down, but I should never stay there. Or, and while I'm there, I need to be reminding myself, and hopefully there's people reminding me, Mm -hmm. why are you downcast? Hope in the Lord. Hope in God and his steadfast love. It will not be shaken. It will not be removed. The promises are yours. He's completed the work for you I, over and over again. Well, we, and, and I think, too, though, that's it's important for people to realize that's part of what it is to bear the cross. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes we think about bearing the cross only in terms of, well, if my house gets burned down because I'm a Christian, that's <laughs> yeah. about it. Yeah. But that's not what bearing the cross, I mean, that can be a form it takes, but it also can take the form of, spiritual battles 
to where you you're wrestling with with these things, and the, it's amazing the number of psalms that are um, psalms of lament or struggle, mm-hmm. and that's because we we bear the cross in this life, we get the crown in the next, and um, and I think that's you're right, Tim. Like always using the cross to drive us back to Christ, and that's but that's that's in a sense that's the Christian life here before yeah. the resurrection. Mm-hmm. That's what this is, and I think to the extent that we're surprised, we're surprised by suffering. Um, th- that that's I think the bigger problem. I think people would be surprised if they read through all the Psalms to see how much of it is about pain, yeah, and suffering mm-hmm. and lament. Honestly, mm-hmm. uh, when I think about the Psalms, like just off the top of my head, like the Psalms, you think oh praise and singing, and it's like oh that that will be a very right. uplifting book to read. It's like well go read it. And watch how full of suffering it is all the right, time. Right. I mean, most of them. Right now, there are bounces back and forth, the and praise it, and this, and but, it ends well, and it ends well. <laughs> yeah, but this is just the truth. If you were to write an honest book of Psalms of your life, most of it will be about suffering mm-hmm. and struggle in life. But like you just said, reminding ourselves, hope in the Lord. Yeah. keep yeah. doing it, persevere persevere, persevere over and over again, because that is reality. Like you said, that's what it is to bear your cross. And this walk as a Christian, isn't like all butterflies and rainbows. There's times of that, right? There are times. Yeah. There's There's really good times. There's times that it's great as a believer to say, I am a believer and look at what God is doing right now. Mm -hmm. But there are definitely the majority of the time we're saying this life is hard. Mm-hmm. Come, Lord Jesus, come, please. And that's also what it takes by faith. Yeah, we don't mm-hmm. see it. Mm-hmm. We don't see it with our eyes yet, mm-hmm. um, but we do. We have we we have confidence in it. Yeah. We're trusting Him. Um, yeah, yeah. But the good news is, is all of those psalms written out of struggle. The key is is they're always directed back to God. So even like Psalm 88, which is a very dark psalm, mm-hmm. very sad psalm, the fact that he's still praying to the Lord in the midst of that darkness shows that's the heart of faith, is no matter what it is, I'm still calling upon the name of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And that's what the, that's what this is all meant to do. And so we have good times. If we're in good times, call upon the name of the Lord. But if we're in, in suffering... Um, call upon the name of the Lord. It's interesting because the Psalms are, you mentioned this, you know, very clearly, they are songs. They were sung. Yeah. And if you think of the most popular songs in culture or in history, they're songs of struggle Mm. and pain. You know, blues music came out of the cotton fields of the Delta Mm. Mississippi and struggle. But the difference is those songs are like, oh, my baby's left me, you know, and I've got (laughs) nothing. And it's like, it ends. Yeah. Yeah. Here we're like, well, we know how it's going to end. And yeah, he hasn't left us. You know, everything could be falling apart in my life, but the Lord is on the throne Mm. and there's that good news. So it brings us back to that consummation. Mm -hmm. Good point. Well, if we've done done nothing else in this recap, we've proven that Scott brings us down a little bit. This might have been the best one. (laughs) (laughs) Right? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I made the cut for the (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, anyway. Poor Scott. He's... He won't listen to this, and he won't no, know we said no, it. So we're good. He won't, yeah. he won't know. Yeah, Somebody know. will probably tell him, though. Hey. Maybe. <laughs> 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 no, we miss, uh, miss having Scott. But uh, No, thank you for uh, listening today. Uh, hopefully this was helpful in some way or makes you think a little deeper uh, about the psalm, Psalm 45 there. Uh, we'll be in Psalm 46 
uh, this upcoming week. Uh, God is our fortress, our refuge, our strength. And so hopefully you can read ahead, maybe do a little studying on your on your own with that. But this is that's where we'll be this coming Sunday. And we hope to see you this coming Sunday. I hope that nothing can keep you uh, from being here. Uh, but in the meantime, if I don't see you the rest of the week, I hope that you have a blessed week. God bless.